Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Debrief. This week, we're going to cover a roundup of Pope Francis' trip to Marseille, then a controversy surrounding a former Jesuit priest accused of abusing nuns, and then the Strickland watch in Tyler continues. Hey, Mike. Hey, friends, and welcome to The Debrief. It's the weekly show where we talk about news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church. I'm Dominic DeSouza, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the founder, co-founder, and editor-in-chief of the website Where Peter Is. Hi, Dominic. <laughs> Good to see you. Let's stay on stay on track here. So we're talking about Pope Francis' visit to Marseille. Uh, he visited the French port on Friday and Saturday. It's the second largest city in France and is considered a multi-ethnic and multi-faith melting pot. And the purpose of the Pope's visit was to amplify his call for the Mediterranean to be a place of welcome for immigrants. Uh, migrants, sorry. So this visit comes at a time when anti-migrant views are growing in Europe, with some countries turning more and more to border fences, repatriations, and talk of a naval blockade to keep a new influx of would-be refugees out. Mike, can you share some of the highlights of this trip? Yeah, sure. It was basically just a, a two-day trip to uh, to Europe or to this city in Europe. Um, as Pope Francis says, he tries to stay away from from the big European capitals. Marseille obviously is a big city, but this was specifically for the purpose of honoring migrants, of, of talking about welcome to migrants. So this uh, visit included an interfaith prayer, which honored the uh, estimated 28,000 migrants who have drowned in the Mediterranean since 2014, uh, trying to reach Europe. So, I mean, just it's a staggering number, 28,000 people Gosh, that would insane. fill a basketball stadium, um, these ships sinking, people in, in rough conditions, um, you know, the dangers that they meet along the way. Um, he also met with uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, and they hosted a giant stadium mass in the famous Velodrome Stadium. And there was a... Um, they, they pulled up a large cloth. Uh, I don't know what the term is for what I, I mean, it's not a fat head, but it's, it was a, basically a big animated picture of Pope Francis that came up from the ground. And um, okay. that was a pretty exciting thing to look at. Um, I'll, we can post a link to it. Um, Cindy Wooden, the Vatican reporter for CNS, posted it on Twitter. Um, so throughout the visit, the central message was that rescuing migrants is an obligation of humanity. And he aimed this message to all people of goodwill, not mm -hmm. just Catholics. Yeah. So um, basically he wanted to remind European governments uh, that they that they have a duty to rescue migrants in these dangerous situations at sea. So basically this was um, a goodwill and uh, a personal visit for Pope Francis to remind us of the common good and the responsibility that we have for one another. We are all connected as the Laudato Si, um, as Laudato Si teaches. Wow. So, And then anything else on that point before then moving on to our next story? Well, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the, um, uh, the flight back from, um, mm -hmm obviously he had the traditional inter uh like in-flight news conference and so uh 
it was a short news conference. There were only a, a couple of, of questions, um, one of which, of course, was um, talking about the migration issue, stating that migrants should be welcomed, accompanied, promoted, yeah. and integrated into society. Um, mm -hmm. He criticized uh, the the way that migrants are treated, um, this cycle of, of catch and deport. Uh, he likened it to a game of ping pong. Um, he shared some stories. He shared the story of a boy who uh, was trying to escape but wound up taking his own life uh, because of the way he was treated. Um, another thing is he discussed the issue of euthanasia and he tied it to the topic of ideological colonization, which is something mm -hmm. that he has brought up many times. Um, he's talked about it in the past when Western countries will try to impose uh, gender ideology or or some kind of uh, family planning view, um, making uh, aid to African nations contingent on their receiving of that. Um, and apparently there's a bill under consideration about euthanasia in France. So Francis okay. brought up, uh, once again, the novel Lord of the World, which is mm -hmm. a 1907 dystopian novel by an English priest and convert uh, named Robert Hugh Benson. Have you have you ever heard? Have you read that book? I read it. Yes. First read that. What's that? Yes, I did. I have read that yeah. a decade, decade ago. Yeah, and uh, um, you know, it's he's this has to be the seventh or eighth time he's mentioned it by now. I haven't kept count. I know that the third time he mentioned it, people made a point of saying it's the third time, but I think he's mentioned it several times since then. So. Clearly, he loves this book. I don't know if he's read it in in the original English, but um, anyway, he he decried what he called um, humanistic euthanasia, which mm -hmm. I guess is um, you know secular humanism is another is the philosophy I guess that people bring forward um, in in secularization. Um, obviously, there it takes some ideas from Christianity, namely human rights and the common good, but without the Christian uh, belief in the inviolability and sanctity mm -hmm. of all life, uh, unfortunately, secular humanism makes some lives expendable. And so um, that is an issue that's close to Pope Francis's heart, the, the respect yeah. and dignity of all life. And so that was something he talked about with President Macron. Um, and finally, he did talk about the suffering of the Ukrainian people and the war. Um, as As you know, more controversy has come up, um, especially during his trip to Mongolia, because of some statements he made about um, Peter the Great and Catherine, Catherine the Great, uh, talking about how they were a great legacy of the Russian people when talking to a group of, of Russian young people. And mm -hmm. he explained, this is, uh, you know, this is what I was taught in school about Russia, you know, these great leaders. And I apologize. I, I think he was he was definitely a bit tone deaf talking about them, especially in the context of um, the war that Russia has mm -hmm. launched against Ukraine. but And apparently his popularity has gone down significantly in Ukraine because of these comments. Um, but once again, he described them as a martyred people. So mm -hmm. those are the main topics from that. Gotcha. The main points. Thank you. So we've got another um, also disturbing sort of story here. Uh, Marco Rupnik is a well-known priest and an artist. He's been accused of abusing several adult women who were members of the Loyola community 
in Slovenia, which he co-founded. And the allegations against Rupnik, which were first made public in December, they included sexual, psychological, and spiritual abuse. On June 15th, the Jesuits announced they dismissed Rupnik due to his refusal to observe the vow of obedience. So what are the general issues surrounding this controversy? Yeah, so for anyone who's not familiar with Marko Rupnik, he has been a very prolific and popular artist in the church all around the world. Um, his mosaics appear in prominent churches in the US and around the world. Um, in Washington, DC, near me, his, his art decorates the John Paul II shrine. Um, I believe up in Bristol, Connecticut, his, his artwork is featured in the Knights of Columbus headquarters or their chapel there. Um, it's in Fatima in the Basilica. And apparently it is also on the walls in the private chapel of the Pope in the Apostolic Palace. So where, wow. you know, John Paul and, and Benedict used to say, used to say mass before mm -hmm. Pope Francis moved things down to the, to the Casa Santa Marta. So, um, there's this lively debate about whether his work should be removed, um, whether it should be invoked, in, whether his name should be invoked, whether, you know, how, how do we treat this? Like, this is a this is an issue that's come up with the musician David Haas, who, mm -hmm. um, you know, has written many of the popular hymns that are sung in Catholic churches. Well, were sung in Catholic churches everywhere in the country. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, American publishers have taken them out of the hymnals. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit different when, you know, if you're producing a mu music issue every year for your, you know, missalette supplement, it's a, it's a little different to like say, okay, well next year we're going to just take these songs out. Um, in all of these prominent churches, these are commissioned artworks that cost in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that they've invested in heavily. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also a complication so um, Rupnik was the director for a long time. I mean, he was recently removed after, after all these controversies of um, the Centro Aleti. And it's a, that's a department of the Pontifical Oriental Institute. Um, this is a, an initiative that was meant to bring together artists from the Latin West with the Greek East and have them collaborate and make these mosaics a lot of people love this work. Obviously, I mean, you've seen a lot of people have seen it. It's notable for, I guess, the figure's large eyes, um, and it it's been used as logos for Vatican programs or for. Yeah. I've seen. I remember it was used for uh, a USCCB program when I was there. It was, you know, it was the the logo of the theme for marriage, unique for a reason, like a theme mm -hmm. in the in the laity office. Um, yeah. And so it's a, sort of a question of whether or not he should be, you know, obviously he's been removed from the from the Jesuits. He's still technically a priest, but he's not incarnated everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But going back to, but he's the director of this institute and not all of the work is attributable to him necessarily, but he's the face of the organization. So mm -hmm. he's associated with all of that. Um, other issues during the investigation um, or after the investigation of his activities in the religious order, the results were delivered to the Holy See and the Vatican declined to do a canonical process against him, 
because the statute of limitations had been passed. Now, this is okay. a somewhat common procedure because only now if children had been involved, it would not have been waived. But because it was an adults only issue, it was it was waived. And that obviously is is not being looked at very well right now. Also, somewhere mm -hmm. along the line, this revelation mm -hmm. was made that in 2019, Rupnik was excommunicated for the canonical crime of absolving an accomplice in a sin against the sixth commandment. Basically, mm -hmm. what it means okay. is that he and another person engaged in a sexual activity, and then this person confessed to him, and he granted absolution. That's actually against the rules. Um, if a yeah. you know okay. you ca you can't go to the same priest that you just sinned with, it, 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 that's um, and that's an excommunicable offense. It's an automatic mm -hmm. excommunication. And I don't know the entire story behind this. Um, I believe maybe somebody accused him, and then he was found guilty. Maybe he okay. brought it up himself. But it's there. There are certain crimes that go to canonical crimes, including breaking the seal of the confessional. Um, I believe physically assaulting the Pope, you know, there's, there, there's a list of like eight or 10 crimes that can only be absolved by the Holy See and otherwise result in an automatic excommunication. Mm -hmm. um, and so because all of this is under pontifical secret, it's kind of hard to quantify um, how, yeah. how this excommunication was handled. Um, I don't know, like, obviously, Cardinal Ladaria was the prefect for the for the CDF at the time. He has his monthly or weekly meeting with Pope Francis. Does he have a stack of 30? Oh, I have 30 priests who excommunicated themselves and have applied for reinstatement. And if the Pope just rubber stamps them, I don't like because all of that is secret. We don't know. It's really hard to determine whether this was handled improperly, as some people are accusing or what the circumstances are. So this okay. is. It and just, you've you've talked before in the past how very um, closed off they are in sharing the process of things, and uh, you also mentioned it's makes it very difficult given the twenty four hour news cycle and the constant scrutiny and social media. It's it's not a system that has adapted for how the world exactly. is today. What are I mean, some new developments at, then? Yeah. So, there? well, I was just going to say we like the Carmelites in Texas. There, it, right. it, it was an issue where the bishop wasn't answering any of the questions and the nuns kept generating new issues, new stories, the breaking new developments. And mm -hmm. it was, we had no knowledge of what the other side of the story possibly could have been. Right. And that's right. the same in this case here. And I mean, we don't want to leap to judgment, but it just really mm -hmm. looks bad. Um, mm -hmm. So here are some new developments. Um, the diocese of Rome where, um, even though he was a Jesuit, he was residing in the Diocese of Rome. Um, they did a six-month investigation into the life and the work of the community that was founded by Rupnik. And they reported that there were gravely anomalous procedures, that's a quote, that led to the, the brief excommunication and dismissal. So basically, they even kind of generated doubts about whether the, the excommunication was licit. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously the women who say that they were abused by Rupnik, they've denounced this, this report. Uh, okay. They're calling it a rehabilitation effort. I mean, it, it's, it's just creating a, a really ugly 
uh, story situation. Yeah. So how does the Holy Father, how does Pope Francis come into this? Well, and, and that's the thing. Um, obviously, certain people are saying Pope Francis um, is protecting Rubnik. Um, in he's been asked about it in in interviews, and he has denied having any like special involvement in the case. He's just been taking part in the procedural parts of the excommunication or the um, you know the discipline against him. Um, that can be read, especially in the way that it's it's being presented, that he's passing the buck or that he's blaming other people. Um, another development is that he recently met with the head of the Centro Aledi, you know, the, basically Rupnik's replacement. Um, her name is Maria Compatelli. Mm-hmm. And this raised further questions about whether he's trying to protect Rupnik. Now, for all we know, she could have gone in there and gotten yelled at or talking to by Pope Francis, but because she's an outspoken supporter of Rupnik still, and he met with her and he hasn't met with his victims yet. This is, this is uh, creating even more uh, concerns and worries and scandals. Mm-hmm. So until we receive more information from the Vatican, um, it's, it's hard to say what's really going on, but obviously LifeSite news uh, Chris Altieri of Catholic World Report, um, mm-hmm. numerous, numerous mm-hmm. outlets that are opposed to Francis are building up this, are building up a narrative against him. And and yeah. right now, I don't have a, a solid response. It's it's just like with the with the Texas nuns, and it's uh, just like with Vigano. Uh, you know, it took a while for the McCarrick report to come out to finally mm-hmm. show w- what was true and what wasn't. And the McCarrick report was extremely rare in terms of telling the whole story um it hasn't really been followed up with many uh similar reports and the mccarrick report took a really long time to produce so that's that's all i can i can really say at this point stay tuned uh pray for all involved in the situation well speaking of opposition to pope francis the strickland watch is continuing down in tyler texas um last week we discussed the pillars report that a meeting took place between Pope Francis, uh, Bishop Prevost of the Dicastery for Bishops, and Archbishop Pierre Nuncio to the United States. So what's the latest? Okay, so I have a little bit of inside information. Um, A source close to the Vatican that I spoke to um, vigorously challenges the narrative that was presented by, uh, by the pillar. Um, I don't know that it changes anything intrinsically, but for one thing, there was apparently, I'm told, allegedly, no meeting between the three of them, no meeting between Francis, Prevost, and Pierre. Um, Prevost, as uh, head of the dicastery for bishops, had his regularly routine, standard, one-on-one scheduled meeting with Pope Francis, followed by Archbishop Pierre, soon to be Cardinal Pierre, having his one-on-one meeting with Pope Francis because being the nuncio to the United States mm-hmm. and he's in Rome, obviously he's going to meet with the Pope. Um, and that kind of draws into question whether the conclusion that he was going to be asked, that Strickland was going to be asked to resign, uh, whether that was entirely accurate. Um, Bishop Strickland, days after the um, the pillar report, maybe a over a week after the pillar, the pillar report said that he had heard nothing from mm-hmm. the Vatican. Um, so now that's not surprising. So I, 
I think that a more likely scenario, and this is purely speculation um, and, and not from the inside source, um, but but it is based on conversations I've had with people who are familiar with this type of thing um, and who have been involved in this type of thing. I would say that it's more likely that they have decided to replace Strickland. And okay. the question is whether or not um, they have a bishop lined up and, you know, sort of an escape plan. Rather than dragging out the process, they may ask him for his resignation. And if he says no, which he's giving in indications that he will, they'll say, okay, yeah. fine. Well, then we'll remove you. The press conference will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. and there will be a new bishop here. See you later. Um, mm -hmm. That's just speculation, but I think that that might be the more likely possibility because there are also stories where the Pope will ask for a resignation and if the bishop says no, then they sort of start this long and grinding process that drags out. Now, it might still be a long and drag grinding process that drags out. Uh, they need to, if they are replacing him rather than just putting an ad administrator in, they have to find a bishop who's willing to do it, um, who's willing to take on this very challenging assignment. Um, it would have to be a conciliatory figure, uh, somebody with a good personality, somebody who is uh, willing to have the spotlight shined on them because whatever they do is going to be scrutinized by Strickland's fans and supporters. Mm -hmm. um, I know that um, I can confirm that four minimum, at least four senior priests have officially or have explicitly asked Bishop Strickland for to resign, you know, have said, Your Excellency, I beg for the good of the church that you step down. His response, as he has stated publicly several times now, but his response to each of them has been no. Um, he says that he received a mandate from Pope Benedict to serve the people of Tyler until, you know, until he's forced to step down. And so that's where he's, that's what he's hanging his hat on. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, now, conversely, there are some, uh, a while back, Peter Kwasniewski, the outspoken traditionalist writer and speaker, um, has said that uh, Strickland should step, shouldn't refuse to step down and basically not go anywhere if he's removed. And he has been joined by Cardinal Mueller, um, the, the German Cardinal who is going to be a participant in the upcoming synod. Um, so that'll be interesting, but he, uh, people are encouraging him to take this step thus far. He has not indicated that he will, um, he, there's no canonical explanation for it. There's no canonical case. Um, it could get really ugly if he decided to do that, but I hope mm -hmm. for the good of the church that it doesn't. So, um, that's, those are the only developments I'm aware of in, in Tyler, but a few things to chew, chew on. <laughs> Good deal. Well, we've got a line item for next week. We're going to come back or we're going to talk about the consistory in which Pope Francis will name a group of new cardinals and we'll gear up for the upcoming synod. So stay tuned, friends, for, for next week. Thanks for the debrief, Mike. Um, available links to the topics are in the description, so you can go ahead and check those out. This conversation is brought to you from smartcatholics.com. It's the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join our private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com 
for articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, and share this with somebody that you think uh, is interested in this sort of thing, catching the, the debrief. Um, support us on Patreon. Well, us. Support Mike. Support the Where Peter Is team on Patreon so that we can continue bringing you this show. And thanks for joining us, friends. When it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless you. God bless.